thank you. All right, give to the Lord. Welcome, everybody. How's everyone doing? It's getting hot, isn't it? Oh, Lord, have mercy. That's why we had to sing that song about the mercies of God. But I'll tell you, it's a lot better than being in high humidity and heat. I was in San Antonio one time. It was like 100% humidity and 100 degrees, and I thought I was going to die. That might have been the portal of hell. I'm not sure. but uh, So I'm thankful for dry heat, but we do have six to eight months of just incredible weather. Are you glad you live in, in uh, Revival City? Come on, somebody. Grace City. We don't call it Sin City. We call it the way God sees it. God loves Las Vegas, and so do we. And Las Vegas will be known for a mighty move of God. And guess what? You're a part of that. Come on. I'm glad there's an anointed section right here that's excited. (laughs) All right, let's just pray real quick. Thank you, Rochelle. Just stay right there for a second. We're going to pray together. Lift your hands. How many know that in the Western calendar right now, today is Pentecost Sunday? Come on, the Sunday we celebrate the giving of life, the life of the Spirit, the fire given on Pentecost. Thank you, Lord. Would you stir your heart up right now and say, Holy Spirit, just whatever you want to do today, Whatever you want to do. How many are hungry? How many need some refreshing? Then just ask for it. Holy Spirit, we welcome you. We need you. We just breathe you in right now. We thank you that you graciously, graciously poured out your spirit, Father. The spirit baptism of the spirit baptism of love and the fire of God's presence the spirit that proceeds from the father Jesus the baptizer of the Holy Spirit so come in power we open our hearts right now and we thank you for your presence just take a deep breath in one more time come on just say thank you for your presence Lord Sometimes when we stop trying, it works. Hello? When you just surrender. You know, God wants to invade your space more than you can imagine. Matter of fact, he's filling all things. Every fiber of your body, spiritually, physically, in every way, the Holy Spirit is filling all things. He's filling you. He wants to overflow in you. The light of his love is just driving out fear, darkness, anxiety. And to the degree that your heart is open, you can receive it. It doesn't take, you don't even have to have faith. You just have to open your heart. See, faith, when I say faith, I mean belief. Belief is not just a mental ascent. Faith is trust. Just trust. Rely. Like you know that you're, you're, you're not on a pothole And you're going to fall in the earth right now. You're on concrete. You're sitting in a chair. You're relying on that chair. You're relying, you're standing on it. Just just receiving that. Knowing that God wants to bless you. You know that God, that's just who he is. He gives. He's a life-giving spirit. He blesses because that's who he is. You know, our economy of exchange, we think, well, we've got to do this and that in order to get a blessing. I've got news for you. You're blessed with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus. I'm glad three of you you are excited about that. 
I'm telling you, man, we've got to get this thing out of our mind thinking that God is just like withholding. He wants to pour out to the degree your heart is open. Come on, if you stir up a little fire and what if, what if we just all got hungry right now? I wonder what would happen. What if we all just said, forget the, the plan and let's just go for the presence. What if we just said, I just want you more than anything right now, God. And in celebration, in an honor of the moment that the Holy Spirit was poured out in an upper room on 120 or so, they were waiting and doing what God said. And what happened? Fire from heaven came. And it transformed a region. It transformed a community. Come on, it created a movement. It formed a community. And it created a movement. A movement. What if we as a community said, God, continue to forge us until we become a movement. Unstoppable. You know when a movement is unstoppable? When it's more than just one or two or three or four or a team leading. But when people rise up and begin to walk out their destiny. And when you know right where you are, you're anointed. You rise up in your anointing and you begin to carry out what God created you to do. Whether it's evangelizing people in the streets, pastoring people at Starbucks, having Bible studies, prayer gatherings, owning a business, being a teacher in the public school system, being an actor in Hollywood. Come on. Whatever it is God has anointed you for, writing songs, leading worship, preaching and teaching, you rising up. If people grab a hold of the fire of the Spirit, Not only do we continue to be a church gathering, but we are a forged community that become a movement. A movement. It takes years, it takes time, it takes sacrifice, and it takes willingness to be vulnerable to pain. Because true relationship, and if you really love someone, you have to be vulnerable to the fact that you might get hurt. But if you're willing to pay a price, not for revival, but for to be forged as a community, God will flow through a people that say yes to that call. I'm telling you, man, it's, it's, it's very, very much misunderstood is, is the church, the beauty of the body of Christ, the mystical understanding that we are individual members of one body. And when we get it in our hearts, I mean, there's, there's a coming under, there's an honor. You see, when we said, said this before, but in a culture of flattery, which is very common to us in our value systems at work, very much in many church cultures, it's in us. Okay. When we say like it's in the church, it's in us. It's not in a building. We, we adapt to the wrong value system, but in a, in a value system of flattery, we will feel way more gifted than we really are. And we will identify with gifts and abilities before we identify with our sonship and that we're loved by God. But in a culture, can I hear you say amen? In a culture of honor where God's presence is priority and the weight of his glory changes our value system, honor will bring out gifts in us we never knew we had. They just come forth. It's like you grow like a tree and bear fruit. It's, it's what, it's the result of being in a community of the spirit. Oh, I haven't even started preaching yet. One more time. Come on, let's lift our hands up and just Holy spirit. Would you just invade our space? 
however you want to come in power. Come in power, Holy Spirit. We need you. We need the fire of your love. We need you more than the air that we breathe. Holy Spirit. Holy Spirit, we need you. We need you. Holy Spirit. Come on, lift your hands and just... Would you begin to sing out right now? Holy Spirit, we need you. We breathe you in right now. Sweet Holy Spirit, fire of God. Fire of God, to come burn us. You know, on the day of Pentecost, it says that fire came. And it didn't just sit in the center of a room. That's a lot like our charismatic gatherings. We like to huddle around a spiritual bonfire of a corporate anointing. But on the day of Pentecost, fire settled on each one of them. What would happen if a people, we all got our own fire? We all got our own fire. Talk about a bonfire. McConaughey's, you like to have those bonfires, don't you? I love fire. Man, before, I actually, I'm not going to say before I got saved. After I got saved, I was still a little bit of a pyro. Come on, if you have, if, if you like playing with fire, just raise your hand. I'm talking about, all right, we'll pray for you. We have a member of the arson squad in the back there that's going to interview you. Make sure you're not involved in anything illegal. Now, I used, I used to play with fire, and I'm telling you, when you play with fire, you will get burned. How many want to just, let's play with the fire of God. Now, I don't mean play like irreverently. I mean, let's embrace. Because some people do play with fire and they get burned. We should always be reverent with the things of God. They're holy. Sometimes I get grieved about some of the phrases that we use, even myself, pertaining to the presence of the Lord. I think sometimes we, you know, we sing songs, send it on down. Lord, let your Holy Ghost come on down. How many know the Holy Spirit's not a it? He is a person. He is just as much God as the Father in Jesus. The Holy Spirit. Just say that with me. Holy Spirit, I reverence who you are. But how many want to just get our own fire today? That'd be cool. Oh, thank you, Lord. One more time, just say, Lord, thank you for your fire. Thank you for your presence. We love you. We honor you. We pray these things in Jesus' name, in Jesus' name. Amen. Would you seal it with praise? Thank you so much. Come on. Thank you, Lord. Well, praise God. What do we do now? Well, it's good to be here. How many were here last week and heard my wife preach? Awesome time, huh? She's short-winded. But then the wind hit her at the end, and altar time was just beautiful. And uh, we had such an amazing time. I love when when she says yes when I ask her to preach. And sometimes I kind of force her. I'm like, I'm not preaching, so someone's going to have to. You're going to have to ask somebody, or I'm not. I'm done. I'm going to sit right there and worship and 
Um, but it's, it's really good to see people rise up in the grace that is, and I, I just want to say my wife is graced with communicating the scripture and sharing the heart of God where we're getting bread from heaven. Uh, the scriptures point us to the eternal word. His name is Jesus. And we learn of the living Christ. I'm so glad that my wife isn't just rehearsing a dead letter, but the living spirit of Jesus. And it feeds us and it inspires me. And so thank you, honey. It was awesome. I just want to honor you. If you have your Bibles, open up to Philemon. I know you haven't been there in a while, unless you were here a few weeks ago, but it's that little tiny book right before Hebrews. Thank you, Lord. So Philemon, I just want to read a couple of verses here. And I want to talk about the working of the Spirit. It is Pentecost Sunday. And I want to talk about the Holy Spirit and and, and being a movement, becoming a movement. And, and I believe that the transition of becoming a movement is quite unique and sometimes misunderstood. And even our hungering for a move of God uh, is usually without the most important element, which is what we're going to talk about today. And so sometimes we, you know, it's like we want, we want new wine. Come on, somebody. We want new wine. We want the wine of the Spirit. We want... His presence, it's, it's our priority, it's what we live for. Uh, but how many know that if you, if you ask for new wine and you don't have a, a wineskin, uh, you're not going to be able to contain the new wine? Can I hear you say amen? I know that's really profound, uh, but it's, it's very true. You know, the, the wineskin is, is not only a paradigm of, of what we think, believe, and and that type of thing, like as new covenant Christians, you know, when Jesus was talking about, you can't put new wine into old wineskins. Uh, I, I believe that he's pr- primarily referring to the old covenant system and the new covenant that he's going to make and seal with his blood um, and the working of Jesus on the cross and the resurrection. But I, I also, I think that it's important that we understand uh, that, that the, the wineskin is composed of people, of leaders, of, of a community. Can you just say that out loud say community? community. Uh, we, we are somehow mystically forged together as a temple of the Lord. How many know that God doesn't dwell in a temple made with hands, but he dwells in you? And he made you. And it says that we are living stones and we are fitly framed together to become a dwelling place for God in the Spirit. We are a living community. The church is not an institution. It's a living community. It's alive and it's well, too. If we just would stop thinking the church is in bad shape, we'd actually do something. I mean, we'd actually change our communities. The, 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 the moment you realize what you're a part of, you actually rise up and become change. The church is the fastest growing entity in the world right now. Well, I thought Islam was. Nope. Bad stat. But I'm telling you, the church is a living force. It's a community of saints composed of over 2 billion people worldwide, and it's alive and well. And the church is a community in which God, it's a, it's a people of God, a covenant people of God, in which he pours his spirit through into the world. His love 
overflows out of the community of God, out of the church, the people of God, flows the love of God into the world. We have the bread that the world is hungry for, and it's the love of God. And as we become the church, and, and let me say this again because I said it a couple of weeks ago, you're not the church alone, you're the church together. I was reading something recently on Facebook, and, and I, I really enjoyed this particular status, and I saw a comment, and this guy said, well, you know, the church, and blah, blah, and he was saying, that's kind of what I, blah, 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 that's what he was saying, but he said something to the effect that, yeah, you know, we just have to, you know, commune with God and read our Bibles and, and be the church, and, and what he meant was, like himself at home, reading his Bible and praying. How many know that's not the church? Hello. We are not the church alone. The church, the word church, is a, it's a word that signifies more than one person. It's plural. It's not a singular term. Like you're the temple of the Holy Spirit, but when we come together, we're the church. Come on. We're the church together. We're a community of God. That's powerful. We're the body of Christ. And how many know that when we, we do our part and as individual members of that body, we reach, touch, and change and do what Jesus has created us to do. We are mobilized. We're not just a gathering of parts. We are an assembly of parts. Come on. How many moms and dads had to put some bikes together for Christmas? I love when they come assembled. It's just such a blessing. But unfortunately, churches don't come assembled. They've got to be assembled. And in order for, the, for there to be momentum and movement or fulfillment of the purpose of what parts are created for, you can't just gather a bunch of parts to a bicycle or anything. You have, they have to be assembled properly, not like I would do where I don't read the instructions and I just look at the picture on the box and I just figure it out on my own. Come on, how many of you do that too? Well, Ed, you, you can just put anything together. So it doesn't, you don't count. So don't raise your hand. This guy puts anything together, man. You could probably take this iPhone apart and put it back together again. <laughs> but how many know that it doesn't work like that with a community? It takes time. We're assembled together life on life. It's called community. It's called fellowship. And you're going to go through hard times and life's going to suck a lot. And because you're going you're gonna to be betrayed and you're going to be hurt and you're going to learn to love through difficult situations. It's just like a marriage. If you think, ladies and gentlemen, those of you that are engaged, that it, you know your marriage is going to be tiptoeing through the tulips, I got news for you. You become one. Come on, somebody. It takes a little time. And, uh, you know, I, I, I was privileged. I got married to the most perfect woman in the world. So, you know, and I've been married 17 years and now, you know, that's what you need to learn to say. When you say stuff like that, your marriage is better. So if anything is good about my marriage, it's my wife. And so she's always been perfect and I'm just trying to catch up and pray for me. I'll get there someday, but it takes time. It takes, it, there's a sacrifice and, and, you know, we, it's like, I feel like we're, we're, we're these people that are, God, we want revival. God, we want a move of God. We want signs and wonders. And, and God's like, I'm just trying to get you to love each other a little bit. <laughs> you know, we, you know we're, it's like we want, we want a movement that will change the world, but we're not even willing to have a healthy marriage. Hello? 
We want to love the most broken in the streets, but we don't even love our neighbor or the person in the pew next to us. I could drop the mic and walk away, but I got more to say. I feel like God wants us to get what it takes to see a movement. I want to see a movement. I don't want to just be a part of a monument. I don't want to be a part of a denomination alone. I'm not anti-denomination. I'm anti-denominationalism. When it becomes the predominant wineskin, God blesses the local church, not a denomination. Come on, somebody. But I want to know, what does it take? It takes sacrifice. And it doesn't mean fasting and prayer for revival. Revival is easy. It means learning to love. And when you become united and one, and you know your oneness with God, a movement is inevitable. But we want a movement and we want revival, but we don't want relationships, right? We want a movement, but we, God's like, I want you to have healthy marriages. Come on, somebody. We want the fire of God. And God's like, listen, if I gave you all my fire, you'd be toast, man. But God's saying, I want you, I want you to learn how to be family. And then you can handle my fire. Because what if a movement, revival, awakening, outpourings, all that stuff flows out of healthy marriages, healthy community, healthy family, healthy church. Why? So we can sustain and carry the presence, come on, as kings and priests of our God and carry him, the movement of who he is to where God has called us to go. I want to, I want to be a part of a movement. I don't want to just be a part of something. Somebody was prophesying to me the other day, my wife and I, and he's like, people, your names are going to be in the revival books of history in decades from now. And I said, yes, I receive it, Lord. And I don't want credit. I just want to be a part of something that, that is a legacy, a movement. I mean, how many know there are movements that have taken place? You, if you study revivals, it's, it's beautiful, but it's also ugly. Because most of the time there's a big mess and it's usually because uh, the wine skin doesn't know how to contain the wine. And it's usually wine gets spilt and there's breakups and there's church splits and how many know what I'm talking about? And and even further back, like the Reformation, wars and people killing each other. Now it's been almost 200 years since the church, the institutional church actually killed someone for being a heretic. We're doing okay. It's been almost 200 years. It's like, you know, oh, we have to believe, right? How about you just believe, like, love one another and not kill each other? Come on, somebody. <laughs> but I want to be a part of a movement. And here's what I believe it takes. It, the working of the Spirit is not just the, the signs and the wonders and all the stuff that comes with it. But I believe Jesus and the movement he created. And when he sent the Holy Spirit, it was already uh, a forged community. They were eating together. They were loving one another. They were of one mind, of one accord. See, they, you can't have a movement without having a community. You, you have to understand the importance of relationship before you can step into revival, however we want to define revival, which I believe revival should just be normal for Christians. I mean, it should just flow out of our lives. It shouldn't be something we strive for. We can walk in it if our hearts are open. Amen. 
we can walk in, in the moving of the Holy Spirit because we, uh, we carry his glory. We carry his presence. And God's looking for hearts yielded to his kingdom and we can manifest it in the earth. So, you know, last time we looked at the scripture, I don't know if I'm going to ever get to it. I'm just kind of going here. But uh, Philemon, Paul's writing to him such a beautiful short letter uh, to a, a believer that had an altercation or an issue with somebody that was probably uh, someone who worked for him or a slave of this time in the first century. And he either stole from him or damaged his property. And, and so uh, the guy rolled out. How many, how many have ever been hurt by somebody uh, like w- before you got saved, right? Or maybe even after. And like, let's say you work at a place and, or you're a boss and somebody rolls out and they do something wrong and then they roll out. And then what happened was the guy went to Rome, met Paul, got saved in, in, in Rome. And then Paul's like, Hey, I know that guy that you robbed. I know that guy that you, you messed up. I want you to go back and I'm, I'm going to plead with him to forgive you. And so Paul is pleading with Philemon to reconcile this relationship. Uh, you know, it's, it's, it's amazing to me because it's, I'm sure that some of us have had a situation in our life where before we got saved and then we get saved and then that friend that didn't get saved, you know, they're partying and doing all kinds of stuff and they're, they're mocking us or, or we get hurt by them. And then they end up going to some church in town and they get saved. And then you end up seeing them at a conference and you reconcile with them. Come on, somebody. This is kind of like that situation. And so Paul is, and here's what he says. Let's read it from verse four, uh, Philemon, verse four. I always thank my God as I remember you in my prayers because I hear about your love for all his holy people and your faith in the Lord Jesus. He does not disconnect them. He, he basically says this, your love for God and how it overflows to people. Because true love for God, listen, will always overflow in the relationships that you have. I always gauge my heart. If I'm, if I'm snappy with my kids or I'm not giving of myself to my wife, I gauge my heart. I'm like something's going on. I got to guard my heart. I got to make sure that I'm not harboring unforgiveness. Or, or I got, because my union with God brings healthy communion with saints. And so he says here, I I love, I'm praying for you, man. You're in my heart. Paul, the apostle is like a father. And, and he's like, you know, I'm, I'm always praying for you. You often will see this in his letters, but he says, I'm praying for you. And I don't forget to pray for you. I remember I'm reminded to pray for you because I know how you love God and how that love for God overflows to God's people. And then he goes on and, and there's this interesting verse here. And you know, in the new King James, it says like, Something about the sharing of your faith. I pray that you would share your faith effectively. And I remember reading that one time thinking, yeah, I need to evangelize. I need to share my faith effectively. But that's not what the scripture is saying. The scripture is talking about, the word sharing is koinonia. It's the word fellowship or communion. But he, he's encouraging him. I, I kind of like the way the NIV puts it in verse 6. He says, I pray that your partnership with us in the faith may be effective in deepening your understanding of every good thing we share for the sake of Christ. Your love has given me great joy and encouragement because you, brother, have been refreshed. Uh, You have refreshed the hearts of the Lord's people. Don't you love how Paul 
just calls out the destiny inside people. He calls out the gold and he says here, he says, I pray that the partnership, the fellowship, the koinonia of your faith, that part of your faith life that has to do with fellowship. I pray that that would be energized, effective, energeos, that the energy of heaven, the spirit of God would breathe on that area of your faith. You know that our faith is about union with God and communion with one another. That is what Christianity is. We are the body of Christ. We are the church. Come on. When we come to the, the table of the Lord, it's, it's about being a, a piece to his broken body and we become one. And the working of the spirit doesn't, doesn't just bring out gifts. And how many are thankful for the Holy ghost gifts? Come on. I mean, this is a great day to just celebrate your prayer language. And, and listen, if you want a prayer language, you can have it today. God just freely gives it. And, you, and Jesus is the baptizer of the Holy Spirit. So you don't have to be afraid if it's weird. But if you want it, Jesus will baptize you with the Holy Spirit. You can receive your prayer language. And you could be one of those tongue-talking Pentecostals. And your family will make fun of you. But you'll have your prayer language. It's okay. And then they'll get baptized in the Holy Spirit. And they'll be like, man, this is cool. Why didn't you tell me? I did tell you. You said I was weird. How many are thankful for the gifts of the Spirit? How many are thankful? But listen, when we're, when we're in a posture of God, we want a movement. God, we want a, a Holy Spirit pour out. You know, we want all this stuff. How many know the working of the Spirit isn't just those gifts? As a matter of fact, the gifts are the overflow of being the church, being the people of God, being the temple, being the corporate living uh, church of God. And so it's important that you understand this union with God develops communion with people. And when we understand that, we are unstoppable to create a movement that will change the world. And here's one of the reasons why is because the world is looking for functional relationships not just an experience. Now, I'm all about experience. But if I have an experience and then I'm thrown by the wayside and I don't, I don't know what family is. I, I, let's say that I'm someone, I, don't, I, don't, I never had a father or I'm somebody who, uh, you know, has been on the streets and, and I, don't, I don't know what functionality is. I don't know how to function as a human. I don't even love myself. How many know you can't love yourself unless you know uh, God's love for you? And you can't even love one another unless you love yourself. So our value system's upside down. But what we have to understand is pouring or praying for the outpouring and all that is what's going to happen is there's going to be a development of real community. And then out of that flows revival, a move of God, an awakening. Why? This is the way God wants it. Why? Because we can sustain and bear lasting fruit and do what God has created us to do. So Paul's like, listen, man, I want that part of your faith to be stirred up. You know, the part that deals with fellowship. And then he begins to plead with him to forgive Onesimus. And he even says it like he says, you don't have to but I want you to. And even as an apostle, he says something like, I could make you. (laughs) He's like, I could just say, Hey, you need to do it. You're a Christian. You you know, like you, you should be forgiving. You follow Jesus. Hello. I mean, Jesus was on the cross pouring out forgiveness. And, and he could have said, no, you, you just need to, that's just what you do. 
It's like, well, I'm offended and I have a right to be. As a Christian, you don't. Sorry. Hello? All the offended people said amen. Good. Laugh. Don't say amen. Then you're admitting you're offended, which means you probably are if you laughed. So God bless you. I'm just messing with you. So, so there's, this, there's this overflow of our love for God that hits people. It, it, it affects my... Listen, if I, if I love God, okay, as a pastor, if I love God, then I'm going to love my woman. Come on. If I love God, then I'm going to treat my kids with dignity and respect, and I'm going to discipline them and love them. You bet I said discipline them. It doesn't mean lay the paddle on them per se all the time, although sometimes I need to do that. Jesus, help us. But it means love them. Just make them feel valuable. Make them feel cherished. And if I love God, I'm going to love you. And even if if, if we hurt each other, we love each other because we're called to even love our enemies. That's a popular message, isn't it? Love our enemies. Who's your enemy? Who's your neighbor? Your enemy. No, I'm just kidding. (laughs) We're called to love even our enemies. It's a radical love. It's the same love Jesus poured out on the cross. And as soon as we step out of the, oh God, pour out your spirit, because usually it's from a place of narcissism. Instead of pour out your spirit so I can be an instrument of your peace and righteousness, so I can raise the dead, so I can do what you created me to do. Lord, I receive the working of the Spirit of God, not so I can prophesy over someone and pray over someone and put it on YouTube and say, look, I've got the gift of healing and it's going to build my ministry. But literally, pour out your Spirit so I can give of myself. Give of yourself so I can give of myself. As soon as we step away from that narcissistic understanding that I'm the church alone, but no, we're the church together and I'm created to give of myself. I'm created to pour my life out just like Jesus poured out his life come on his blood on the cross until blood and water came out of his side when they threw the spear and he died our death come on somebody and we know that that causes us to be to be life-giving to to be co-suffering to be radically forgiving if we become the people oh I'm telling you there'll be a movement that is unstoppable because the love of God revealed is, I wouldn't say that it's because people, people can turn away from it, but it's, it's almost irresistible. I'm not a Calvinist, so I wouldn't say I'm irresistible grace. But the love of God revealed is so appealing. The ministry of reconciliation is so appealing. I want you to turn over to 2 Corinthians real quick. 2 Corinthians chapter 5. You know, the, the understanding of the ministry of reconciliation Many times we just talk about it as, as if, you know, I'm reconciled to God. But Jesus is referring to the world. Hello, the cosmos. It says God was in Christ, 2 Corinthians 5. It says God was in Christ reconciling the world to himself. Reconciling the world to himself. And now we have the message of reconciliation. Guess what it is? God forgives you. He's forgiven you. He's not counting your sins against you and you're reconciled and you've been brought back and you can have relationship with God. All you have to do is say yes to his love. Come on. That's the gospel. It's the understanding that God loves you. 
It's not the understanding God's mad at you. We don't serve a pagan God. We don't serve Molech or, or the God of Mars. We don't serve, that's not our God. We don't serve Zeus. He doesn't have a lightning bolt in one hand and a finger in the other. Although sometimes we do portray us Christians a God like that. God, have mercy. Let us represent and represent who God is to the world. We're ministers of reconciliation. We carry them, but listen. He tells them, be reconciled to God. And then he begins to talk about God's working grace in them, his hardship. And look what he says here. 1 Corinthians 5. Let's just read a few verses. Verse 18. All of this is from God. Let's just read it from verse 14. Let's just read the whole chapter. Oh, God. Someone's like, I want to go to lunch. Let's just read verse 14. For for the love of Christ compels us because we are convinced that if one died for all, Therefore all died, and he died for all, that those who live should no longer live for themselves, but live for him who died for them and was raised again. So from now on we regard no one from a worldly point of view, though we once regarded Christ in this way, we do so no longer. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, the new creation has come, the old has gone, the new is here. That's not just talking about your new birth. That's not just talking about the, the incorruptible seed where new things came. It's talking about a new creation. It's talking about all things are becoming new. It says in the book of Revelation, God's restoring all things. Come on. That there was something that happened at the resurrection. That has to be our eschatology that since the resurrection, newness of life has come and it's permeating the whole earth. It's called the kingdom reign of God. Until the physical return of Jesus, which we should look forward to. Come on, somebody. Where he comes back in all of his glory. Come on. But we got work to do in the meantime. We don't need to be, oh, when's he coming? When's he coming? He's coming. Get to work. Reconcile. Come on, get some people. Get some people uh, in right relationship with God. Tell them how much God loves them. Here's what he says. He says, new creation has come. All this is from God who has reconciled us to himself through Christ. He gave us the ministry of reconciliation. That, that is that God was reconciling the world to himself in Christ. So on the cross, Jesus, God was in Christ. God was not pouring out anger on Jesus. Come on, somebody. God was not looking away from, well, what about Psalm 22? Jesus quoted, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? The Psalm is about vindication and trust. And if you read the whole thing, it says he will not hide his face from me. Come on, somebody. In the first century, when you quote a verse, it's like saying the whole Psalm. It's like if I said Psalm 23, most of you know it. The Lord is my shepherd. You know the message of the Psalm, not just the one verse. He was on the cross dying. It's kind of hard to quote a whole psalm when you're bleeding on the cross. So God was in Christ. Where was God when Jesus was dying on the cross? He was right there bleeding, forgiving humanity. He was reconciling the world to himself, taking on our sin and the full consequences of sin, which is death. He defeated death, the devil, and he dealt with our sin. Come on, somebody. And he reconciled us to himself. And now that we are made one with him, the Bible talks about the word atonement, which is an English word. It's only been around for about 700 years. But the word atonement in English is at-one-ment. It's being one with God. It's being reconciled to God. And I want you to catch this, that Paul is talking about that reconciliation and that union and what God did. Then he goes and says, he's not counting people's sins against them. Wow. Hold on. God's not counting people's sins against them. Let that settle in for a minute. Then why do we? 
Repent, you're going to burn. You know what repent is? Reorient your entire being at the reality that you're loved and accepted. And guess what happens? And you turn away from the junk. And, but primarily repentance is turning to God, saying, I give up, Lord. I want you. I need your love to heal me of this disease. And as you turn away, you change, you transform, you think differently, you live differently because there's the life of the spirit. But our job isn't to tell people how ugly and rotten and dirty and worthless they are. One time I heard someone say, I'm only worthy because of the blood. Now think about that for a minute. Now it's true that something happens when we receive what Jesus did. Hello? Come on, the blood that washes us clean, ever cleansing, ever flowing blood of Jesus, the mercy, the grace, the love of God flowing from his heart, flowing like a river flowing from the throne. But how many know you had value before the blood or the blood would have never been shed for you? So if you say I'm not worthy, now you might not based on merit deserve God's love and free gift of eternal life, but that doesn't mean you don't have value. But language is important. If I say I'm not worthy, you're saying I don't have worth. If the church is confessing that, what do you think the church is going to think about humanity? Here's the reality is, the blood, only the blood makes me worthy. No, no, no. The blood proves you're worthy. It shows that God, the father was willing to give his son for you. And it was a love burning in his heart from the creation of the world. He always purposed in himself to join himself with humanity in the incarnation. Come on. All right. I'm preaching better than your respondents. I'm going to just close. Praise God. I got to get out of here. I'm hungry. So I'm just messing with you. He didn't count their sins against him. He didn't count their sins against him. He didn't count their sins against him. Why? Because he wanted relationship. If we are constantly focused on how people have hurt us or, or how they've done wrong or how they're not right with God, as if we are to say that like we have, we're going to sit in the judgment seat like you're not right with God. If I see another person on the corner yelling at people with a megaphone to repent, I'm going to walk up, grab the megaphone and say, you repent. Repent for being mean. Does anyone do street preaching with a megaphone in here? All right, just checking. We need to get signs out there and stand out there and be like, God is ravished over you. God loves you. You're reconciled. Come into relationship with God. Come on, come to the waters and freely drink. Are you thirsty? Come. Are you tired of religion worn out? Come and let him carry your burden because that religion stuff won't work. Come on. He's going to carry your burden. He's going to lift your sin. He's going to forgive you. That's what we should be out there doing. Not out there yelling at people. Come on, not counting their sins against them. Not counting their sins against them. Why is it so important? Because if I'm reconciled to God, then I'm reconciled with my brother. First John 4. John's talking about the very incarnation, the reality that Jesus came in the flesh. Battling against Gnosticism, a cult in the first three centuries of the church. Remnants of it still exist today, but it affected the third of the church in the first three centuries. Asia Minor, he's writing to Asia Minor, 1 John. If you read chapter 4, he's talking about the incarnation. He talks about the Antichrist, the spirit of the Antichrist. It says Jesus didn't come in the flesh. God was not incarnate. But 
here's the point. He goes into understanding the love of God and how if we say we love God and we don't love our brother, we lie in. That's the point. If you get the incarnation that we were reconciled and you get the reality that we're one with him, then reconciling with people is normal Christianity. Radically forgiving. I love, you know, well, they, they will know that we're your disciples, Lord, by the love we have for one another. But lest a Judas arise, that verse becomes irrelevant. Yet, Jesus said it right when Judas walked out the door. Think about that for a minute. That's a hard thing to say after somebody stabs you in the back. But that is the radical forgiving Jesus that we follow. That we are created... We're being conformed to his image. We're being one with him. You know, atonement is all about reconciliation, but it's also about union with God. Union with God. Join to him in his death, burial, and resurrection, ascension, and session. You weren't just crucified with Christ. You were also raised, buried, raised, come on, ascended. And now you're sitting with him in the heavenly places, Ephesians, sitting with him in the heavenly places. Where he reigns, Jesus is Lord of all. Let me just keep going, or or you're going to miss lunch. He says here, God was making his appeal through us. We implore you on Christ's behalf. He says, be reconciled to God. He's telling them, live this way. Live this way, church. He's he's encouraging. This is the church of Corinth. He says, "You're, you're like my kids. I begot you in the gospel. I want to present you a pure virgin to the Lord. I want, I want you to make these things right. I want you to, he, he's preaching justice, which is making things right. And then he goes on here and he says, God made him who knew no sin to be sin for us, that we might become the righteousness of God in him. And then he goes on, he talks about hardships. But listen, here's the verse I want to close with. Verse 11 of chapter 6. Reading in context, he says, We have freely spoken freely to you, Corinthians, and opened wide our hearts to you. We are not withholding our affections from you, but you are withholding yours from us. Let that sink in. Isn't that powerful? And here's what he says. As a fair exchange, I speak to you as my children. Open wide your hearts also. In other words, if you're reconciled to God, your heart's open. I'm preaching myself, man. Learning to love. Learning to be community. Learning learning to radically forgive only comes with crucifying moments. Hello? And when we do, we exemplify and glorify him and we reveal the beauty of the love of God that permeates, that permeates the most broken and hard hearts. And when we, as the people of God, go from revival to relationship, then true move of God will come. We're not just preaching unity and gathering in a room, but we're preaching union with God. We're not just crying out for fire, but we're saying, God, make us family. We don't want to be a movement before we want healthy marriages. We don't just want signs and wonders. We want to know our sonship. Come on.
My wife and I got married almost 17 years ago. Happily married. It gets better and better and better. Thank you, Jesus. I'm so thankful for my bride, my kids. But had we got married and then just decided to have five kids like that, if that was possible? If that was possible, just five kids. Let's say we just adopted five kids. And then we had all our spiritual kids at once. All the people say, hey, I look to you like a father. I look to you like a mother. We would have imploded. We had to mature in love. Our love for one another and our love for our kids. We had to grow in it, right? As a church, seven years ago, we started like, God, we want thousands of people. God's like, "If, if I gave you that right now, you'd implode. We want a movement to change the world. Oh, it's coming. But I'm forging a community. Let me tell you this, church. We are moving from community to movement. We are on the tipping point. And when we catch this reality of being a friend of God means I'm a friend of sinners. I'm a friend of the friendless. I'm a friend of people that that need to know his love. There's a transformation that takes place. Paul's pleading with the church. He says, open your heart wide to us. If you have that verse, can you put it back up there? Open your heart. He says, as a fair exchange, I look to you like you're my kids. He says, open your heart wide to us. It's easy to shut our hearts off. But when we open our hearts to God, it's almost irresistible not to open our hearts to people. If we are really receiving the love of God, it heals us of that stuff. You know what I mean by the stuff, right? The stuff, how many have some stuff that need to be healed? Come on. Can I pray for you as we close? Can I pray for you? Can we just pray for the working of the spirit, not just in signs and wonders, but in sonship and all these other things and let, and let that working create in us something greater that we can carry, that we can carry the move of God, that we can continue the move of God. How many want to see a revival for 12 months? And 100,000 people. How about we see a revival for 12, 24, 48? Just come on. And billions of souls. You know what's better than 1,000 people receiving the Lord at one time? 1,000 people receiving the Lord at one time and then reproducing themselves 12 times over. And when you become family, it's inevitable. Because people are looking for a refuge. They, they're look, they're looking, they don't want the Jerry Springer life anymore. Can I just keep it real? Hashtag keep it real. Man, we've got to get this. My wife and I, seven years ago, praying for all this stuff, and then God started forging relationships and a community. We're being baptized in the manifest presence of God. The presence of God that still continues to kiss our gatherings was so strong, we'd be on our faces, prostrate, thinking, oh, this is it, Lord. Now we're just going to explode. And God says, no, I'm forging an army. I'm fitly framing you together. I'm teaching you how to love. Because when you become community, you can carry a movement. All right, let me just close in prayer. Did you enjoy it today? I want to I want to just uh, thank you, Lord. I want to just open it up right now. But would you open your hearts right now and just thank God for his love. Thank God for his presence. Thank you, Lord, for invading our space. Come in power right now, Lord. I want you to pray out in the Holy Ghost right now, would you? Just pray. Come on, let the fire burn in your heart right now. Thank you, Lord. Come on, I want our STSL students just lift up a roar of prayer. Come on right now and say, God, we want to be a people forged in your presence, God.
not just a people that, that talk about a move of God or just want it to happen in a building at one point in time, but we want to carry it. We want to see a movement that affects the earth. We don't want to just see a temporary manifestation. We want to carry, Lord, a movement, a consistent movement in the name of Jesus. Come on, lift your hands up with me and just say, Lord, I want to I carry this. I want to be a part of this. So forge me. Teach me to love. Burn in my heart. I'm reconciled to you. I want to be a minister of reconciliation. I want to love my spouse better. Come on, those of you that are married, I want to love my kids, my parents. I want to love the sinner. I want to love the saint. I want to love like you love Jesus. I want to radically forgive. I want to be unoffendable. It's possible, church to be an unoffendable community. It's possible. It's possible because we're being made like Jesus. We're new creations. Lord, thank you. I pray blessings over every life right now. Lord, let the wind of the Holy Spirit come in power right now. We thank you for your presence. I just pray blessing on every treasure in this room. Every single one of you are treasures in this community. And I bless you right now. Thank you, Lord. Thank you for the partnership of your people. Oh, Jesus, you're so good. Jesus, you're so good. It was never our dream just to be a bunch of Christians that gather in a room. It's always our dream to see a family forge that would bring the fire of God's love to the world. It's always been our dream. We want the real deal. I'm not going to settle for anything less. Come on. Right, Kevin? Come on, Pastor Kevin. We want the real deal. I want the real deal. Come on. Can we stand up together? One last time, stand up together. Lift your hands up and just thank God for baptizing us afresh in His Spirit.